Welcome to the intro podcast of Joe Rogue Sports. We'll be talking tons of sports throughout all these podcasts. Uh, we'll dabble in a little bit of everything. So a little intro. I'm a Midwestern college kid just talking about sports. I like to talk about a lot of different sports. I like to watch a lot of different sports. I'm into a lot of things. I like different aspects of all sports. So this podcast will hit on a lot of things, hopefully. Uh, first thing we're going to hit on, though, is the NBA Finals. And exactly what happened. I mean, you look at the NBA Finals this year, it was the super team versus the god, and it turned out in favor of the super team like a lot of people expected. Uh, I mean, like, if you look at what LeBron James brought to the table in that finals, I think it proved that he was still good, but I think it also proved that four all-stars, four Olympic gold medalists is still going to win the game. I mean, the series was 4-1, obviously, in Golden State's favor. It was close for some of the games for the last three, but Golden State still had a lot of control. I mean, it just in almost every game, you just had the feeling that even if the Cavaliers were close, eventually, or that even if the Cavaliers were even leading, eventually Golden State was going to turn it up and they were going to end up blowing up. The Cavaliers are going to end up getting hot and scoring 20 points to nothing like that because they could. And they could. It wasn't It wasn't a doubt about it, and that's why they won the series. They just had everything uh, everything they needed to beat the Cavaliers and to stop LeBron James. Their one biggest weakness going into the season was having an ISO player, having someone that could match up with LeBron, make him work on both ends. And you added that weakness in the form of Kevin Durant, uh, MVP in this league, one of the best players that we've seen of uh, the past decade. So, I mean, it was kind of a stack deck, and it went in the Warriors' service for sure. If you look at the like stats, I mean, Kevin Durant led the Warriors in scoring. He was, I think, second in rebounding by Draymond only. He was second in assist, I believe. The fact that he was up there for all those, he led the team in blocks. Like, he brought, like, leading the, a 73-win team the year before, in finals, uh, blocks, taking second and assistant rebounding, that like only makes them even better. And I know they didn't get 73 wins, but this team's better than the team last year, and that team did 73 wins. I mean, like someday I'll talk about that too. I think Katie's a big snake. I'm not a fan of that. I think he wasted a year at the NBA, and I cannot wait for him to leave Golden State. I hope he doesn't get like addicted to this, like cocaine or something. And, just keep coming back from war for the easy W's because this is it's just not fun to watch. Last year, the the series last year, I have the Thunder uh, Warriors series was one of the best series that I think I've watched last year. I was rooting for the Thunder all the way through, but it was just every game from the start to the beginning was so impactful, so like the intensity was so up there. There's just flying back and forth, shooting left and right. It was just a fun series, and I mean like I will say that in the end of games. And I, I did see this earlier from, from Kevin Durant on the Warriors too, but it was Westbrook and him were just kind of doing ice and ball at the end of the games, and I think that's why they lost that series. And earlier in the season, Durant tended to go back to the ice ball late in the fourth quarter of games, but he really improved his efficiency over the year and really like stepped up his A game. And I'll give him that credit. He, he became a better player in the Warriors, and he became exactly what they needed to do to win. Uh... I mean, from the Warriors as a team standpoint, uh, Curry, 
he finally had a good final series. I mean, not saying the last two were bad, but he looked like the player he's capable of being. And he averaged eight rebounds per game. I mean, like, LeBron had his triple-double. Kevin Durant had his points. But an underrated stat line is Curry was 27, 8, and 10, pretty much. So 27 points, 8 rebounds, 10 assists. That's crazy good. Except for Curry, who's not known for being a great rebounder by any means at all. And he's not necessarily a great passer. He's not a great facilitator. So for him to do that, really stepped up and really made him, like, uh, I think that puts him in another category. And it, some people think he took a step back this year. But, I mean, with Kevin Durant, you're going to. But I think it proved that he's still a great player and he's going to do whatever it takes for his team to win. Uh, you look at the Warriors' other players, Clay Thompson, kind of not really out there. There, there was... In a few games, Clay kept him kind of in it. He would get a little hot, and uh, I think it was was a game five. He started out game five pretty hot, and and uh, pretty much led them in the whole first quarter. He's still going to be the streaky player, I think, at times, especially being behind Durant and Curry. Uh, if, if he had his own team, I think he'd be way more consistent, and he'd show his uh, value way more than he does. A lot of people underrate his defense, and I think he's definitely a big key to the team. Like, their top four are all really key to the team. I think Clay Thompson would be the... I, th I think he means more to a team than Kyrie Irving does for the Cavs, and I'll talk about that later on. But I think what he brings to shooting, uh, he's a steady presence uh, on defense. Like, his defense, I think, is a big thing. It's something I never really thought about for a while, but when you watch him, he does... He gets after it, and that's it's really an underrated aspect of his game. Uh, as for Draymond Green, he... He's someone that I still am not a big fan of how he holds himself on the court sometimes. In the series too, he was kind of seemed like he he gets so upset at times when like if he just keeps it level headed, he's such a good player. Like I respect his game so much. He's a player that I would love to have on my team, especially when you got when you got a guy like Durant, Curry, and Thompson. Green is the perfect fourth option. He's the perfect third option for a lot of teams. He's another guy like I said, like if he was on the Cavs, he'd be perfect with LeBron because of what he does. He can. He passes the ball super well for a big man. And I always, coming out of college, when he came out of college, he was a player that I would have picked, uh, or I liked, I, I felt high on, because I liked that he, despite being undersized, he did a little bit of everything. I like players who do a little bit of everything. And, but the fact is, he shoots well, he defends at an elite level, probably defensive player of the year, rebounds super well, especially for his size, and then, like I say, he passes really well, he can bring the ball up the court, he does everything. That you like need to. The only thing he doesn't do is score at a high level, which isn't needed on this team. Like if he was the first option on the team, I don't think they'd be very good. He'd take away from his defense, from all his other factors, and he's not going to get the. He's not going to score as much as like people might think he would. Like I don't think he'd be a 20 points per game scorer, and I don't think he should be. He plays the perfect off like off role for a team. Uh, as for the rest of the Warriors, I mean, Iguodala did his thing. Livingston stepped up. Uh, McCall in Game 5, I'll give him credit. When Curry realized that like uh, Ian Clark and some of those guys couldn't keep up with the other players, he put McCall in, and McCall really stepped up and had a good game. JaVale McGee did solid. Nothing special from McGee in uh, the finals. I mean, he just kind of played here and there. Didn't really have a factor as much as he did in the uh, regular season. But... A lot of people thought the Warriors bench would take a step back this year, and I mean they they did sum up, but it's still a solid bench. A lot of veterans. They got nice easy contracts on uh, Zaza, Livingston, Iguodala, and West, and all them. I mean not easy contracts on Iguodala, but those 
the Livingston West Petrulia are going to come back, and they'll probably come back to the picture too, almost just for those veteran ring chasing players. And that gives you a nice solid bench. You got Clark McCaw, McGee, all somewhat young guys with McGee, but they all have potential and they all played really well. They played outside of their uh, what most people projected them to be. So I mean, the Warriors they just they play their game, and it was tough for the Cavaliers to do. They weren't going to be able. To, Cavaliers were going to have to play their A game the whole series, and they did for a lot of the games, and just it still wasn't close. It's just not fair to the NBA by any means for what the Warriors are doing here. Now, as for the Cavaliers, like I said, LeBron, he averaged a triple-double. He is far and away best player on the court. I don't know why anyone would think that the throne's being passed over to KD. Uh, he's doing this alone out there almost at times, it seems like. It just, like, he has to take over games. And he gets better every year. He's at age 32. I, I can't talk long enough. I'll talk some more time about the GOAT discussion, but I really think that LeBron's up there in the discussion, no doubt, and I, it's crazy. From what I've seen, I think he's a heck of a player. Now his second best player, Kyrie Irving, when he's on, he's on, and it is fun to watch. I do love watching Kyrie when he's on, but that isn't all the time. And when he isn't on, that's when he starts taking away from his team. There's actually a stat, and it's about like uh, the effect of defensive win shares added and offensive win shares added, and I believe he was on the negative for offensive win shares added, which I thought was crazy because he's known there for scoring. And he does score well, but there's times where he almost forces and his efficiency kind of lacks. But I, he had a really good series. I mean, he averaged like 30 points per game. He kept them in game three, was it? I think game three is the one where he really kept them in there. And, like, he, he became a second option kind of for LeBron. Although I wish Kyrie would... He hasn't done it in his career yet, but I would really like him to become a facilitator. I think with his handles, with how he gets to the rim, he could set up a lot of people. And that Cavaliers team has shooters on it. I think he could help them out a lot. Because there's times, I mean, he goes to the rim one on four and he makes it. And that is crazy. There's also times where he misses doing that, where he got an open Kyle Korver, open Kevin Love out there. Which we'll talk about later. Maybe it's not best to pass Kyle Korver. But the other big player on the Cavaliers, Kevin Love, he started off the series pretty well. I mean, the games they lost, he was doing pretty solid, but then in the games where Cavaliers were contending and they needed him to step up, he wasn't really there, except for game, was it five, or I think it was game three. Game three is the game where he he really rebounded well, despite not doing much, and he affected the game without his scoring, which is nice to see, but he needs to step up. He's been such a disappointment for the Cavs, I feel like, since they traded for him. I don't know if they regret trading Wiggins because of it, but you really wish you could have got more for Wiggins and the number one overall pick than what they did in Kevin Love where he's been for the Cavs. I mean, he shot 40% field goal percentage for the series as a big man. That's not good at all. When, when you got a guy like LeBron, I mean, I don't compare to LeBron, but LeBron's as a wing player shooting 57%, 58%, 60%. That's pretty crazy. I want to say like the club was one of the worst shooters on the team in that series, and he's not supposed to be. He's supposed to step up and make those shots. Now, J.R. Smith, let's not have Game 5 where I just forget that he was almost non-existent for part of the series at times. And he, in Game 5, he took some bad shots, but it's crazy when he's on. When he's on, he's on a player like Kyrie where you can't miss. 
and he's a good option, but like there's times where I feel like he forces or he just seems like he's he's off and he's not where he should be on defense or what he needs to do on offense, open up for LeBron, etc. And the Cavs are in a tough situation right now with their cap and everything, so if they can move JR for a better fit, I'd be down for it, but it really comes down to fit. You can't force anything. I don't know if they can they can't even take a risk right now because JR is still a player that can help a team win, without a doubt. As for the rest, Richard Jefferson played solid, nothing special. I mean he's just a good vet. Tristan Thompson needed to rebound way better. He averaged like six rebounds per game. And for playing over twenty minutes. He needed to do better because he's there to rebound, and that's how he affects the game. And he killed the Warriors last year rebounding, and this year he couldn't do it. And I don't know, I mean, I know Zaza was a pretty good big man with rebounding, but Thompson needed to do better when he on the floor. I mean, he got a rebound by Curry. And I'm not saying Curry's a bad player, but Curry's not a good rebounder. And Thompson is paid to rebound, and he's paid quite handsomely, too. As for the last pair I want to talk about on the, uh, well, I'll talk about two more. Number one, Darren Williams. He sucked. He sucked so bad. And he sucked ever since coming to the Cavs, really. He had a little bit where he played well, but he's been so bad on the Cavs. He's been, just, he, he wasn't the player LeBron looked for. He wasn't the player he was on the Mavs. And I don't know what it was or why, but if if he got stepped up, that could have helped a little bit. But LeBron and Kyrie had to take the brunt of the load. And then Kyle Korver. He's a player in the series he shot 31% from three. 31% from one of the best shooters of all time, in my opinion. With a guy passing, getting passes from LeBron, being set up wide open. And that's one of the games we'll talk about later. But he, he needed to hit his shots in order for them to win. And he didn't do that at all. He did not do his job on what he was traded for them to do. I'm not saying he lost him series, but him hitting shots could have really helped a lot. And I'll talk about that later too. But overall, I mean, the Warriors, their players played, they all played well. Not, none of them really didn't play well. I'll say Clay Thompson played a little bit below the standards. They still played well defensively. Whereas the Cavs on the other side. I mean, I think LeBron played well. I think Kyrie played well to an extent, at least for about half the games. And then the rest kind of. I mean, the third best player who played, I think, above, or like, if we're, if we're playing players to run their average, the only three in the Cavs that really, like, maybe played above it were LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, and I would say Richard Jefferson. I think the rest play, played below their standards. Except, and some played way below. Like, Tristan Thompson, Kevin Love, and Kyle Gorber all played way below their standard. Now, how could the series have been any different if... I mean, like, the one way I want to look at it is if game three, if Kyle Corbett hits that shot, if LeBron stops Katie's three and they win, I think a 2-2 series would be crazy. I, th I think, too, if the Cavs win game five, they're going to have the momentum going into the series because you have a uh, Golden State team that is remembering, they remember, they know 3-1. No one's going to let them forget 3-1. And that's going to be in the back of their mind, thinking about it the whole time. I think that that's uh, that if they Cavaliers win Game Five and go down three two, I think they would have the momentum. And that's not saying they'd win the series because Golden State's this gonna be tough to beat Golden State four games in a row. But I think Game Six in Cleveland would be somebody easy. But I think Game Seven could win Golden State still, even if they blow three in a row. Now, if the Cavaliers go pull out Game Three, 
like I said with that shot with Corver and LeBron stopping them and it's a 2-2 series that would be I, I would be scared from the Warriors because LeBron was really taking over and I think that the Cavs were, were doing game five after that or even game six I would take the Cavs in that series I really do and it's kind of crazy because the teams are nowhere close in comparison to talent but LeBron just has a factor and he gets in your head and you think about him all the time I feel like if you're playing against him LeBron's going off, you got the better team, and your series is tied 2-2. You got a little LeBron effect, you got a little, you're a little worried about him that whole time, without a doubt. So, I mean, I think it comes down to is the, the series came down to KD. KD stepped up and he won them that series. I don't, I don't know if the Warriors would beat the Cavs without him. My next topic is going to be after the finals, a little trash talk between Draymond and LeBron. A lot of people are hyping up this trash talk. I don't really think it's that much trash talk. Draymond had a shirt. I give him credit. He uh, brought back the shirt. I think he even called himself petty for it. But LeBron wore the Ultimate Warrior shirt the year before. Draymond wears a quickie shirt based on quick and loans and how fast the Warriors beat the Cavs. And I thought it was a... I give him credit. It was a funny shirt. And he, he deserved to... Or I shouldn't say he deserved to wear it, but he... Uh, he, they won the series, so he could wear it. And then LeBron fired back with like on the day of the parade, he has like some video of him with his shaved head now. He's going full, full out if he's shaving his head. It, the final form is my guess. And uh, I don't know if the Warriors took it as a diss that he unleashed this video on the day of the finals. But LeBron fired back saying we made LeBron go bald. Or I don't know if she came first, but LeBron. Draymond said they made LeBron go bald, and LeBron said something about Draymond's shirt with Quickie saying that's what she said. Now, Michael Scott reference and all, I, I didn't really think it was a diss by any means, but I thought, I thought it was kind of funny, to be honest. I mean, just those random comment, I didn't think it was a diss. I'm like, well, why is he, I don't know if he meant to be a diss. I thought it was a pretty shitty diss if he did, but I thought it was pretty funny, to be honest, a little Michael Scott reference just because of that. And Draymond says, uh, uh, we're making him go bald, and that's where. And Draymond also said too that LeBron made the super teams, which another topic we'll get at some time. I disagree with that, but kind of slight this there. But I think LeBron finished it off and he had the best one of all, where he said, "You guys just won the finals. You're having your parade, and you're still talking about me. I'm still in your head." And that's something too. I, I think, I think LeBron will always be in the world. He's in everyone's head, really, in the league, and he knows it. And I think he's going to rebound from this loss this year, and I don't know if they'll win it next year, but. It's fun seeing a little trash talk, and I'm getting at it. Like, it wasn't, about 95% of it wasn't trash talk. Maybe the last, the, the quickie shirt, trash talk, maybe. I mean, Draymond was full trash talk. I don't know LeBron's, that's what she said joke was in that video at first. I don't think much. But LeBron, get, he knows they're, he's in their head. I think they know they're in LeBron's head, and it's, it's going to be a fun battle. I'm expecting round four this year, or this next year. So we'll see where that goes. My next topic is going to be soccer or football I'm a big USMNT fan I love the national team I love the women's national team too and I watch a lot of their uh, matches so this week was uh, the big El Clasico of Mexico versus United States as much as I like to think US should be the favorite in this match they aren't Mexico's by far better uh, they have a better soccer team and US is behind in soccer with like around the world, which we shouldn't be. We should be dominating everything. But 
we go up early in the match and we score a goal six minutes in. I had a bold prediction that say that we we're going to score five minutes in as a joke and we score six minutes in. And they end up scoring another goal 23 minutes in and then the game ends up being a draw at 1-1. And my take from it is I'm happy with the draw. And I know some people who don't watch soccer might not be happy with it. Kind of mad, but what you don't realize is a draw for Mexico United States is like a draw if the Cavaliers tied up Golden State 3-3. They'd be happy being 3-3. USMT should be happy being 1-1. And, I mean, that puts us in the World Cup qualifying standings. That puts us in third. Uh, point ahead of Panama. We're in our driver's seat now. We can be sitting pretty. As for the game in general, Bruce Arena, he, it was kind of a weird lineup. I wasn't a fan of the lineup that he brought in. I mean, like, he brought in, like, you got uh, Tim Ream, you got Bobby Wood, and Paul Ariel were my kind of three kind of iffy picks in there. I mean, like, I can see getting young guys down, but in El Clasico, I was kind of worried. And I can see the Wood. I'm not saying Wood is a bad player by any means, but a big El Clasico. Uh, doing Josie and Clint up there instead of Wood, I think it would be smarter. And I mean, like, uh, Josie fit Klinsman's system better, maybe. I can say that because I think Josie was the perfect, not the perfect, but of all our strikers, he was probably the best of them in Klinsman's system. And we started Guzan in the goalie, which I was kind of like, ooh, that's iffy. I, I mean, I'll be Howard till the, till the day we die because Howard is by far the best goalie I've ever seen for the U.S. <clears throat> As for the game in general, uh, I mean, the U.S was the second tier team. Mexico had like th uh, 74, 74, 75% possession for most of the game. And you could you could tell watching the game, it just, U.S. never really had many chances. Like, it was Mexico shooting 24-7, and we didn't get many chances. And I, it's been like that for the past four years, where U.S. is on the back burner, and they're playing defense all the time, which I'm okay with it in certain times, but it, it's so tough to watch. Because you're worried 24-7, you're on your feet 24-7, just worried you're going to score, or they're going to score. So, I mean, it, it it was tough. We we did get seven corners compared to their nine, which I thought our, our attacks, when we did attack, were aggressive, and they were doing the right thing. But I just think that Arenas needs to find a way where we can be more aggressive and we can... I mean, like, the back line, we, we were playing defensive for... The past two games against Trinidad and Tobago, we played defensive too. So I don't know. It we we came with the draw, so I'll be happy. But I think it was a lucky draw after like the way the, the game went on. As for some of the players, uh, I'm a big Demarcus Beasley fan. He is something that I've always liked. I think he's smart. He's a little speedy, but he's always been a smart defender. And the goal was scored on him, but it wasn't his fault. He drove his guy inside. They didn't stop him. Um, Pulisic played, played Pulisic played pretty well. I was pretty happy with his performance. He's definitely got a bright spot and he's got a lot of potential. I mean, everyone knows that obviously, but it was something that I really liked. Uh, I was surprised that Fabian Johnson didn't get to play. I thought he was pretty good against Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, I like the substitution bringing in Nagby. I like what he brings to the table as well. And I also liked. Uh, the general, like, bringing in Altidore late, I wish, I was kind of hoping 
Dempsey would get in because I think that fresh legs on Dempsey could really take advantage of uh, not as fresh legs on the Mexico defense, but he needed to get in. I mean, I think our back line, we really got some work there. We're still figuring it out come more qualifying time, and hopefully we do, but it's really there's it's really shaking up right now. There's a few guys who have potential, but like Brooks has been really struggling. Yedlin's high and cold. I mean, he, there's certain things he does well. Like, he, he gets in position to cross well, but he doesn't cross very well at times, and that's something he needs to work on. And just in general, the team, there's a like they got quite a ways to go if they want to contend, which unfortunately kind of sucks. But Pulisic's a good bright spot, and I'm happy to see him there for sure. I mean, if you look at this year, it's it's been okay here. We, I mean, in 2017, I believe the team's undefeated so far in 2017, which is nice. But there's a lot of times where USA will get your hopes up in soccer and they'll crush them with some tough losses. But I'm happy they're drawing El Clasico. I hope everyone else is because it puts us, a loss could have hurt us a lot. But a draw gives us a point, keeps us going. It would be nice to get a win. If we got a win, that would be huge. But I say we uh, take this and use this to our advantage and keep going and moving forward for the team for sure. And the next topic here we're going to talk about is the big Mayweather-McGregor fight. Now, I, for the longest time, I never thought this would actually happen. I did not think Mayweather McGregor would actually be fighting for sure. I, I, I just didn't like the idea of it. For both points, I can see why they're doing it, which I'll talk about. I, I think Mayweather is doing it to. He's the favorite. I think he knows he can win. I think he knows he will, and I think he'll shut up McGregor, and it kind of ends the MMA boxing fight. Maybe I won't say it ends it, but it. What's the point in boxing saber? McGregor's doing it for that purse, man. They're supposed to both get over like 100 plus million, and McGregor knows he he fights for money, you know. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but he he talks the talk because he knows it'll get him paid, and that's nothing wrong with that. That's what you gotta do if you're a fighter. That's what you gotta do because you're throwing your body on the line. You might as well get paid as much as you can for it. I don't care how much smack you talk or how bad you look in the public. I'll talk that smack if I have to get my money. I think the fight. Could really hurt boxing, especially if McGregor wins. Boxing's done for. It's dead, dead to the waters. Why would anyone watch boxing when MMA fighters can just walk in there and take out your best pound for pound fighter of all time, or not all time, but of his generation? And especially when it comes to Mayweather, because he is 49 and 0. He hasn't lost. He played such a smart game. It would just look bad for the sport. My, predict my predictions, I think Mayweather's going to win. I would love to see McGregor win, just to, just to see the aftermath of it. Because yeah, I think if he wins, it's a, funner, a more fun fight. Because Mayweather plays a game, he doesn't take punches, he's going to lose, and he blocks everything else. He, he knows he's not going to knock someone out. If you watch any of his last fights, he doesn't go for knockouts. He goes for the decision, and he wins it like that. McGregor, on the other hand, he's got to go for the knockout, I feel like, because he's not going to win a decision. And maybe kind of if you can get some some good punches in, I mean he's going to, he's going to bully his way in there. I feel like McGregor's not going to give up anything easy, and when he goes in for those big punches, I think Mayweather's just going to come out there and do a few jabs and get a few punches in himself. So McGregor's going to be aggressive, and Mayweather's going to play his game. I don't think McGregor can beat Mayweather playing defensive. 
as for the betting side, it's pretty crazy. I think ESPN reported the first 144 bets, 140 from McGregor, which makes sense because that's a huge payout if he does win. It might not be smart to do that because Mayweather, I think, is a huge favorite, like, as stated with the bets, but it's pretty crazy. And it'll be fun to see how much bets come in for this because this is going to be a fun fight and see how many people watch this because it should make a lot of money. I know I'll watch it for sure. And, I mean, I'm, I'm expecting this to be a boring match where Mayweather does his thing and gets paid doing it. But they're both going to make their money, and I think that's what they both want. I mean, I think that's what McGregor wants. Mayweather wants his money too, but McGregor, he's here for the money. He doesn't care. If his career ends, if he wins or gets to fight MMA again, he made $100 million off it. Who cares? He's set. This isn't, I don't know if, I don't care if people say it's a pride thing or not. He's here to make money, and that's what he does. Next topic up here is going to be the 76ers and Celtics trade. Uh, am I a fan of the trade? For which team? We'll see. But I'll talk about the trade first. So the uh, Celtics, they had the first overall pick this year from Brooklyn via trade. The 76ers had the third overall pick. The presumed number one overall pick in this year's draft is Markel Fultz by a, by a mile. So, apparently by a mile. I, I disagree with it. I'll talk about it a little bit later. But the rumor is that the Celtics traded, or the 76ers traded the number three and a future first for the number one. Uh, Danny Ainge, the GM of the Celtics, has gotten shit on for this. I mean, I don't know if, it, if, it, if it's... Uh, if it's warranted, but like it's it's a huge risk. It's a huge risk for the Celtics. The pick, so he's trading the number one for the number three. The 2018 Lakers first protected one, and then six through 30. So if the pick falls in the two through five range, the Celtics get it. If the pick, and then if they if it doesn't, it turns into the Sacramento Kings 2019. Uh, unprotected, which he's getting two lottery picks pretty much essentially. I don't think the Kings are going to be playoff team come 2019. And if he doesn't get that pick, that means he's got a top five pick. So I think it's pretty crazy. I, uh, I mean, he's getting the three. It's rumored they want Josh Jackson or Jason Tatum. So if they want their guy, why not? And I think this two drafting folds is going to make you make a decision with IT. Isaiah Thomas, and if you don't draft him, you're a lock to assign him, and maybe they want to go that way. They don't want to disrespect IT, and they want to also, it's rumored it's going to open up some cap room, too, to go after Gordon Hayward, so that'll be fun to see, but we'll have to, we'll have to look on that. As for my, I mean, I like it for the Celtics. I'm not a big fan of Fultz, and that's why. I can see why you'd want the number one, but, like, a guy who's the number one overall pick, and only won six games in college basketball. When a guy like, I don't know, like, what's your example? There's other players. I know people say Washington's team is bad, but come on, like, you put Ben Simmons even won more games than that in LSU. And LSU is the worst program that Washington did. So I don't know. That's my take. I I mean, I like the trade for both teams, so Philly's going to have a nice core for sure with Bolts, especially if he turns out. Not saying he's gonna be a bad pick. Uh, the Celtics are rumored to look at two guys that want the ball. Funnily enough, but uh, if they get one of those two guys and they're happy with their team, I mean, I like the idea of having 
You're going to have Jalen Brown, who was third, third overall pick the year before, and then Josh Jackson or Jason Tatum, who are two wing players. I mean, you're going to need wing players to beat the Warriors and the Cavs in the future here. And they're doing that. And then they're also going to have two lottery picks in the next two years with either the Lakers or uh, Kings pick, and then also the Nets pick, Nets pick they get next year too. So and it's a win-win for them, I think, honestly. And then, uh, I mean, like I said, Fultz, I don't know if he's going to turn out. I think it's a win for the Celtics. And I shouldn't say it's a win-win because if they do miss their pick, it's not going to look pretty. And then uh, another last topic here, the U.S. Open just finished today. It was a... Uh, I, I think it was a good U.S. Open. I know a lot of people were kind of hating on it. A lot of people said that course wasn't hard enough. But today I think proved, proved it was, especially when the wind was up there. Uh, people are mad that there's just so many... Like, they like when it's when it's with the course and it's closer to par. Whereas, you look at the winner today tied the record for a lowest score in the U.S. Open. And that winner, Brooks Kopka, the, he shot a 67 class A and won it by four shots. He he crushed it, and that's how he, how he golfs, dude. He, he crushes that ball. He was compared to, I believe, Brian Harmon, who was, he was contending with most of the day. Harmon doesn't drive nearly as far as Kopka. But and I don't know if that played a factor here or not, but Kopka just he he shot lights out today and he deserved that W. He I mean you win by four shots, you're gonna win the you're gonna win the US Open when you're up there contending. Alright. Okay, when you win by four shots, of course you're gonna win the US Open, but when you win by four shots you prove that you deserve the win. I mean he had the second best, I think, uh Sunday, only behind uh Hideki Matsuyama, who took second. He had a really good day too. He came out of nowhere and shot really well. And he went to done so bad on the first uh, on Thursday. Matsuyama could have been contending too. But I mean, the things to look at is is Harmon who's up there kind of choked at them. He you can kind of tell the course got some people, but the one person who didn't get to is Kopka. Kopka threw up a whole day. He looks calm and steady. He looks fine. He was no super emotion until the end when he's like, "Yeah, I want it." And I, I mean, like, you look at, like, Harmon, Harmon, Jordan Spieth, or the few guys where it's just like, they're, you can physically see that they're upset on certain ones or that they were, they were just off. And like, I got to Ricky Fowler, he went in there as, uh, as kind of the favorite, and he shot really well on Thursday and Saturday, but he just, he was just off today, and, and it, it seemed like, he, he, I don't want to say he gave up, but it seemed like he he just wasn't like wasn't feeling it, wasn't ready to to win this major. And kind of, I mean, like I, I'm not, I, I don't put myself in their shoes, but it, he just seemed off. And I mean, he was the only real big name up there, I think, really competing for a while. There's some guys too. I mean, you look at like where was where was Rory McIlroy, etc. Like I mean. A lot of big names got cut early, and it was it was a lot of people complained that that this U.S. Open was easy on the course. But you look at there it was easy. How come those big names are out there contending? And I don't know. It, it was it was I thought it was good. I enjoyed watching today. It was 
It was fun even watching Steve Stricker go out in his uh, home state and do pretty well. That was fun to see, fun to see the crowd. I mean, the crowd was nice. There was a lot of some really nice shots. Some of their shots always always amazed me. But, I mean, I enjoyed it. It was, it was especially the wind. It really played another factor today, and it was kind of fun to watch those balls go all over the place and how they rolled on these hills. And I, I liked the course. Aaron Hills, it, it was hilly. There was a shot the one time when one of the reporters like rolled a small little basketball to prove it and uh, it rolled all the way from the west side of the fairway to the right side because of how much of a slope is um, and then I just want to give one final shout out in the US Open to Joe Buck for getting the wrong girlfriend a Kopka when he had a new one so that's gotta be shout out to him for getting that right am I right Kopka the lady slayer apparently and my last but not least, subject, just a quick NASCAR race update. I watched the last 10 laps of the Michigan NASCAR race. Kyle Larson pulled, pulled off a big W over my boy Chase Elliott. It wasn't big, but there was a... They had like a five-lap restart, because around lap 10 when they restarted, there was a record away. Danica went out. She hasn't had any luck this year at all, by any means. But, uh... Larson pulled it off. He's been probably the best the driver to beat this year for sure, especially on longer tracks like this. Chase is going to catch him. And he had a good restart. Larson did. Chase, didn't have, Chase pulled up a nice move, but because of the restart before, he was a little, little bit too far behind. But it was kind of crazy watching those restarts at the end. The outside line looked way better. The inside line was super loose. And it was a good race. Uh, it was a lot of people dropped back when they couldn't hold the inside line. So Larson looks like the driver to beat this year. Some drivers are getting their speed back. Looks like Elliott, Agano are getting their speed back. Blaney was up there before he messed up a little bit. And it'll be fun to see. Definitely uh, excited to watch more races this year. And I I didn't watch the full race today because of the US Open, obviously, priority. But it was good to see. And my parting thoughts is the uh, NBA draft this, is this week. I think it's going to be one of the better NBA drafts we've ever had in terms of, I think it's going to be exciting. You look at a lot of mocks, people are all over the place. Even with the top pick, it's you don't know who's going. Usually it's one, two. You know, the top two people, and then it can be kind of off. And this year, it's you don't know who's the top one. And even when the Celtics were rumored to like Josh Jackson at number one, which is kind of crazy with how people rate defaults, but I think it'll be a, it'll be a fun draft. I'm excited to watch some, some more baseball this week. No real topics for baseball I didn't have on this uh this podcast, but we'll see. And uh, that'll be it. Leave some comments, leave some likes, or some subscribes. Let me know what you uh, think and give me some more topics to talk about. I'm willing to talk about anything. This one was kind of generic uh, for the first podcast, but I'm really to get to get in depth and uh, talk some stats, talk some hot topics. I love to debate, and I'm willing to do anything. So just hit me up. Thanks for listening. Very much appreciate it.